0: Heavenly Father, thank you for that truth that you've loved us so much that you sent your Son to open a way where there was no way. And so we we gather this morning to celebrate you, to rejoice in, in that truth. And uh, again, I admit, I I've got nothing to feed your people with except your word. And so I pray that you would take this time, that you would meet our needs, there's a lot of needs represented. Father, I'm, I'm so grateful for this incredibly beautiful body that you've put together. My heart's desire is that we would be strengthened, we would be encouraged, equipped, edified this morning as we look at you, that, that you might work in me and in us true greatness, that is that we learn to be servants of all, so, Father, would you do that work in us this morning? I, I humble myself. I empty myself. Ask that you fill me with your Spirit to serve your people for your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Welcome as you're grabbing a seat. I want to welcome guests, new newcomers, first timers, visitors. Uh, so glad that you're here. Uh, we really do love, uh, love Jesus and we want to love one another. And so you're gonna hear it a lot that, that we believe Jesus changes everything and he does that by changing us individually. He, he changes us from the inside out. He literally, through the gospel, through the good news, he takes away all our sin, puts his life in us so that his life might thro- flow through us and so we're so glad you're here. If you miss everything else that I've said, I want you to know that, that God loved you deeply and sent His Son, Jesus, who was crucified in your place for your sin. He was buried and He rose again so that Jesus can change everything in your life. My name is Dave. He is changing me. I'm not yet who I long to be, but by His grace, I'm not who I used to be. I haven't gotten in a fistfight here at church in like 15 years. And so, again, that's a bonus, right? That's sanctification. That's change. That's what Jesus does, and so we long for you to know that Jesus. We long for you to know him through the body. Uh, This is an incredible body, incredible group of people. They love each other deeply, love each other well, and we're so glad that you're here. We've been uh, going through the book of John, and so if you'll open up your Bibles to the book of John, it's a In the New Testament, if you open up just over halfway, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the last, what we call the Gospels. I'm going to read verse 19 down through verse 34. Uh, And if I lose you in the whole sermon, let me give it to you in a nutshell. I'm going to ask you, how do you define greatness? Even I would ask you to write it down. How do you define greatness? Because we're about to look at the one that Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, said, John the baptizer, among those born of women, he's the greatest. And so we're about to see the true definition of greatness. And if you've grown up in America, your definition of greatness is way off. And if your definition of greatness is off, then your decision-making is going to be off. Everything's going to be off. And so we're going to look at the definition of greatness. What made John the baptizer great? Let me read it to you. Verse 19, God says, John writes this, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And John the baptizer confessed and he did not deny but confessed, I'm not the Christ. They asked him, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, No, I'm not. He said, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, Well, who are you so that we may give an an answer to those who sent us? And here's the greatest question. What do you say about yourself? Well, John the baptizer said, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent to him from the Pharisees, and they asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Well, John answered saying, I baptize in water... Uh, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he, Jesus, who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Well, these things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John the baptizer saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, that is, as the Messiah, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him. This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Now we're going to look at true greatness this morning. So to do that, I'm going to jump in and give you a big theological perspective through the whole Bible. If you read from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22... Right about in the middle, Psalm 145, verse 3, you would would see this statement, this truth about who God is. In Psalm 145, verse 3, it says, God is great and greatly to be praised. Uh, His greatness is, in fact, unsearchable. So I think it's actually an understatement, but the theological truth is God is great. He created everything. He's over everything. He holds everything together. He's super-duper great. There's a small theological picture as well that runs through the Bible. You see, because of sin, I was born dead in my trespasses and sins, separated from God, and I will always seek greatness in my flesh apart from God. This is what sin does. Because of sin, all of us, I think we, we're born intuitively, intuitively longing to be great for significance, are we not? There's, some, there's that drive in us. Sin will always cause me to seek greatness apart from God. Now, there's only a handful of ways that looks. It's like position, power, possessions, pleasure. Uh, we, in this world, we seek a handful of things. We seek greatness apart from God. Now, in the gospel, this, this book, the Bible, also tells the good news, the gospel, that Jesus, the greatest one, through whom all things came into being, apart from whom nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus, who created everything, entered our story, and he defined greatness for us. Whoever wishes to be great in the kingdom of God must become the... It's in the Bible. <laughs> Whoever wishes to become great in the kingdom of God must become the servant of God. All we become nothing that's greatness in God's eyes. He didn't just define greatness, He actually demonstrated greatness. Jesus came, humbled Himself, emptied Himself, came as a bondservant and a slave, was obedient to the point of death. He served all y'all, He served all of humanity, and showed how great He was not by creating the universe but by emptying Himself and becoming nothing. And the Father said, There's true. Greatness. How do you define greatness? I'm really curious. I wish I had time to go around and say, How did you define greatness? Because you had parents who defined greatness to you and for you. And how you define greatness, your definition will determine your direction in life and your decisions. And if you define greatness incorrectly, you're going to spend your life chasing after meaningless things and you're going to miss the mattering one. So I'm going to jump in, I'm going to show you this. Because of how Jesus defined greatness, do you know greatness is available to all of us this morning? It's astounding. You understand in America, only some can be great by America's definition of greatness. Now I know the self-esteem movement. We tell kids, you can be whatever you want. No, you can't, kids. (laughs) Legitimately, you can't. That's a lie. Like that's adults buying into the self-esteem movement. Some of you can never be a, a, a pro basketball player. You just can't, you don't have the dexterity, you don't have the skills, that's okay. Ends up nerds rule the world, work on the computer. You can nail that. See, we're uncomfortable with this though. Not everybody can be great in the world's standards. You understand in Christianity, we can greatness is available to all. This is what separates Christianity from everything. You can be great, all it takes is humility. Therefore, it's very difficult to be great because... Humility is incredibly hard, isn't it? So watch, we'll jump in. I'm gonna show you the journey to greatness. I'm calling it a journey because it's not just one decision one day. It's every decision every day. The journey to greatness, you're gonna see in John the Baptizer's life. To be great, you've gotta be really clear on who you're not and who you are. There's gonna have to be a level of self-awareness and we're really not good at self-awareness in America. We're really not. You know, That's why most people sing karaoke. They think they're really good at it. Because they've had parents tell them all along, listen, you, you sound awesome. You sound like Whitney. And nobody will tell you, you, you sound like you're dying. Stop singing. Don't do karaoke. Why am I, I don't even know why I'm talking about karaoke. It doesn't, um, the journey to greatness is gonna require really clarity on who you are and who you aren't. We're gonna see that in John's life. It's gonna require clarity on who Jesus is and who Jesus is in your life. And it's gonna require clarity on the scope of your life. What were you put here to do? You see, if you have clarity on yourself, on your Savior, and on the scope of your life, I guarantee you, with that clarity, you'll be great because your eyes will be fixed on Jesus and you'll become nothing so that Jesus might become everything and you'll begin to serve everybody around you, and, and Jesus will say, well done. That's greatness. Watch, 19 minutes. Ah, we're not going to do it, but we're going to try. Watch how fun this is going to be. We'll go 19 to 22. The journey to greatness begins with clarity on yourself. Watch how clear John the Baptizer was on who he's not. You've got to know who you're not. This is the testimony of John the Baptizer when the Jews sent him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, who are you? Again, in verse 24, 25, 26, 27, uh, the Jews sent the leaders out there because John was doing something he wasn't supposed to in a place he wasn't supposed to. He was baptizing Jews. Now, it wasn't odd for Jewish people to do baptisms of Gentiles. When Gentiles would become Jews, they would baptize them to show the washing off. You're no longer a Gentile dog. You're part of the covenant people. Baptizing Gentiles was okay. John wasn't baptizing Gentiles. He was baptizing Jews. He was saying to the religious leaders, y'all think you're righteous. You're not. You need to repent. You're a bunch of vipers. You're sick, twisted freaks. You need to repent. And the Jews heard about it because John was getting super popular. So they sent people out and said, okay, who are you? Watch verse 19. No, 20, sorry. And he confessed, did not deny, but confessed. He said, I'm not Who? I'm not the Christ, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not a big deal, I'm not the one you've been looking for, don't even focus on me, I am not the superhero of the story. Right, he, he confessed, did not deny, but confessed. He was very bold about it. He didn't hem and haw, hmm, I might be a big deal. You don't know? He didn't hem and haw. He's like, no, I'm not a big deal, not the superhero. So then they, they just worked down their list. Watch verse 21. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Remember 2 Kings 2? Uh, Elijah didn't die. He's hanging out with Elisha and all of a sudden fiery chariots, angels. And and Elijah just, he's back up in heaven. Everybody's like, whoa, he didn't even die. And and in Malachi, it says Elijah's gonna come back. And so they're like, okay, you're not the Messiah, but are you Elijah? Because he was, was John the baptizer, he was, I mean, he was cool. He was living in a van down by the river before that was a millennial cool thing. Literally, he was living outside. You guys know that, right? And he had watched Super Size Me, and he was like, nope, I'm gonna eat bugs and honey. It's better for my heart. So he ate an odd diet. He he dressed like the Flintstones. Camel hair and a belt before that was even a thing. He probably looked like Elijah. He 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 had a man bun before they were a thing. He never cut his hair. I mean, dude looked wild, and they're like, he looks a little bit like Elijah. He might be Elijah. Let's ask him if he's Elijah. Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. I'm not even that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not Christ. I'm not, the, I'm not Elijah. And so they said, well, Deuteronomy 18, are you the prophet? Because Moses predicted that a prophet would come and, and point to the Messiah. You may not be the Christ, the Messiah, and you're not Elijah. But are you the prophet? And he answered and said, No. He was super clear on who he was not. Listen, the original lie in Genesis that most of us still believe, it's why we have what we have in America. We have a whole nation of personality disorders because we believe that the entire universe revolves around me because I've been told since day one You're a big deal. You can do whatever you want. And I believed it. I worked on dunking a ball for a long time. Ends up I'm white and I have like an eight inch vertical. Not going to happen. But we've been told you're the best. Here's a trophy. We know you lost every game this season. Don't let the facts distract you from the lie. You're the best. And we actually believe this. And this is why we are like atlas, crushed under the weight of the world, because we've believed the initial lie in Genesis. God knows that you surely shall not die. God knows that in the day you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. You'll be unlimited. You can do it all. You can do whatever you want. You're the best. You can be omniscient. You're always right. Post whatever you want on social media. You're always right. You're the center of the universe. We've believed this lie we've got dwight schrute syndrome anybody watch the office and admit it in church i probably shouldn't even be talking about it it's horrible don't watch it but it's hilarious <laughs> dwight schrute's convinced he's the assistant regional manager through like the first 7 seasons he introduces himself as the assi- i'm the assistant regional manager and everyone corrects him no you're you're the assistant to the regional manager which makes you nothing you have no authority no power no nothing most of us have Dwight Schrute syndrome. We just call it social media. Ta-da, I'm awesome. Problem is, we're not. And until we realize we are not the superstar, we're not the superhero, we're gonna live a delusion and violate the scriptures. Romans 12, three, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Have a proper assessment. You see, I'm not the superhero. I'm not God. Some of you came today just so you could say this. I'm going to have you say it. Uh, Together, we're going to say, I'm not God. (laughs) On three. Why do you laugh at that? (laughs) Because we think it's funny. It's like, well, nobody thinks that. Yes, we actually do. What I think, what I feel, what I want is the most important thing in every room. Now, we wouldn't. I don't think be as delusional saying I am God, but I think it. So, together, let's say it. I'm not God on three. One, two, three. I'm not God. Well done. Isn't that freeing? <laughs> See, most of us live under that delus- delusion. I have to be a perfect husband, perfect wife perfect dad, perfect mom, have all meals prepared, have all the school outlined, have everything perfectly outlined because we think we're God. You're limited. It's okay. You're weak. The Bible actually calls you a vapor. That's, right? Did you, did you read it? I'll read it to you, but I'm wasting way too much time. This is only 0.1a. We think we can do it all, and we can't. And it's why we're crushed with anxiety, panic, fear, stress, and worry. It's why we're over-medicated. It's why we're in debt. It's why we're over-stimulated and absolutely lonely. I'm not God. So we know who we're not, and the journey to greatness is going to demand that you know who you are. Watch this. Go to verse... uh, Then then they said to him, well, who are you so that we may give an answer to those who send us? What do you say about yourself? What a great question. Just in your Bible, circle 22 and spend a lot of time here. What do you say about yourself? Ask somebody, what do you say about yourself? That's gonna fill in a lot of blanks. Gals, before you date a, a, a dude, say, what do you say about yourself? Who are you? And just listen. I don't care what he looks like. Dude could be super hot. Listen to what he says about himself now watch verse 23, watch what John says. John said, I am a voice. Watch it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I am, do you see it there? He doesn't even use a definite article. He doesn't say, I am the voice. My voice is the most important voice. He doesn't, he says, I'm a voice. I'm Quoting from Isaiah 40, I'm a, do you know what's so important about a voice? you don't even see a voice, it's invisible. You hear it, but you don't see it. John doesn't even, he doesn't even define himself as a great person who has a booming voice. He just says, I'm a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. See, here's the beauty. Back in these days when a king would come to town, a messenger would go out and a messenger would yell, the king is coming, clear the streets. Get all the cows out, get all the carts out and get all the poop out, like clean it out. The king's coming through and he needs a straight path. John says, all I'm doing is coming before the king and saying, repent, clean out your heart, clean out what's inside so that there's room for the king. You see, as long as I'm full of myself, there's no room for anyone else. So John came and said, I'm just a voice, I'm not a big deal, I'm one crying out, I'm delivering a message, that's it. John says, I'm, I'm like the mailman, I'm not a big deal. How many of you go and watch your mailman or a woman? from here on out I'll say mail person. <laughs> that sounds weird because it's mail, M-A-I-L, mail, yeah. but doesn't matter. How many of you watch your mail person put mail into your mailbox? Like, that's normal for you on a, any given day. You go watch and say, Listen, Hey, I'm bored. Let's go watch the male person put mail in. How many of you have seen crowds gather around as the male person goes, whoosh, whoosh. anybody? How many of you have ever taken a selfie with your male person? <laughs> have you really, Philip? I believe that about you. It's astounding. How many of you have your mail person on your home screen? You're like, I just love looking at them. Like when they come around, you get super duper nervous because they're so famous. You're Like, oh my goodness, the mailman's here. So awesome. Did you see how he delivered the mail? So great. We don't, do we? Because the mail person doesn't matter. Now the message matters. Is it a, is it a letter from the HOA? Is it a bill? Is it a love letter? Is it an the mail matters, but the delivery system doesn't. And John says, "That's all I am. I'm a delivery messenger. I'm not to be looked to. I'm to be looked through." And in modern evangelicalism and Protestantism, we have made celebrities out of our pastors and speakers, and it is ridiculous. We watch what they d- dress how they deliver the mail, it's not about them. It's dependent upon are they faithful to present the message of the gospel? Are they presenting truth? They're to be looked through, not to. And John says, listen, you're never gonna be great if you don't understand who you're not. You're not the superhero, and you're never gonna be great unless you understand who you are. You're just a voice delivering a message. You're to be looked through and not looked to. John, in fact, Jump to verse 27. He says, I'm not the superhero. In fact, you need to know I'm sub-zero. I don't even rank on the scale. Watch what he says in verse 27. It's, it's Jesus who comes after me. And he makes a cultural statement here that's amazing. He says, the thong of Jesus, I'm not even worthy to untie. Now, if you lived in a, in a Jewish home at that time, you would realize slaves could be demanded to untie your shoe, he, the, Slaves are the only ones. They had no rights in the house. They were totally owned. It was okay to tell the slave, untie my shoe, wash my foot. John says, I'm I'm below a slave. I'm sub-zero. I don't even rank. Uh, Now, here's the thing. Because you've grown up in America and you've been told... You're the center, you're the star, you're the greatest, you're the best. When I say you're not the superhero, I'm not the superhero. In fact, I'm sub-zero. People are like, well, that hurts my feelings. That, I don't like this guy. He just hurt my self-esteem. Now I hurt inside. The, the truth For John, that he was not the superhero, that he was sub-zero, did not devastate him at all. It actually delivered him from self. You don't, go ahead, pull up a blank screen. I'm going to draw. Oh, it's in my Bible. Watch this. I don't like that. I like, red, they tell me, causes anxiety in people. So I'm going to go with white. It's more of a calming color. Listen, you've grown up and in America since the late 50s, 60s in psychology, it's been all about self-esteem. What the kids need is more self-esteem, self-promotion, self-actualization. Um, they, they need more self and to focus on self and look at self and think about self and will build, we'll build their self up. There's... Really only two ways this this goes and they're both devastating. Now we're figuring it out now, but we won't put a title on it. Since the 60s and the focus on self-esteem, self-actualization, self-promotion, it only goes one of two ways and they're both the same. They look very different. If you focus on self and you love you some you and you think about you and I think about esteeming me and promoting me and advancing me, all about self, Here's how this goes. On one side, uh, I become very self-conscious and self-condemning. That is when I'm around people, I'm like, oh, what do they think? Oh, why are they looking at me? You become very self-condemning. And in this self-condemnation, because you're looking at you what you're doing is you're comparing yourself to others and you always compare to people who are better than you. And so you look at people and you're like they do better in their jobs, their marriages are better, I checked out their Facebook page, they're happy, everybody's happier than me, everybody's richer than me, everybody's skinnier than me. And in this self-condemning comparison, you develop what they call an inferiority complex. Ever heard of that? All of a sudden, you're inferior to everyone, and you begin saying, I can't do anything right. I'm the victim, and everything bad happens to me. I'll just give up because I can't. You sound like Eeyore, and it's miserable. Eeyore hadn't found his tail in 50 years. Somebody needs to eat him is awful. Have donkey tacos for breakfast. He lives over here. Everything's bad. Everything's bad. And in self-condemnation and comparison with people who are better and your your inferiority complex, you begin to judge yourself. I'm no good. Now, this is horrible. And it, it looks very humble, doesn't it? I'm going to, I have to tell these people, you're incredibly proud, repent, because you're thinking about you, looking at you, loving you some you, comparing you to others, you're the center of your story, it's incredibly proud, they're like, although that hurts my feelings, because you're thinking about you, and you're still at the center, stop it, repent, now on the other side, and this may even be worse, you're not uh, not self-condemning and self-conscious, you're actually self-confident. You're peacocking around, right? Because you compare confident. We compare ourselves, but we don't compare ourselves to people who are better than us. We tear them down. Oh, that dude's an idiot. Uh, we just tear pe- We compare ourselves, the self-confident, to people who are worse than us. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not like those losers. <laughs> and we build ourselves up. Uh, we're still comparing, we don't have an inferiority complex, we have a, yeah, superior, or, uh, uh. <laughs> Right, we're better, and we don't say, oh, I can't do anything, we say, I can do everything. We don't say, oh, I don't do anything right, we say, I do everything right. We don't judge ourselves, we judge everybody else, bunch of idiots. You should be more like me. Look how awesome I am. Both of these are pride. They're death. They're horrific. And it is what self-actualization and self-esteem does. You'll either be self-condemning, woe is me, or self-confident, woe is me. (laughs) And you've met both, haven't you? And they're ridiculous. And you're like, what is the problem? The problem here is that self is still at the center, right? Gravity pulls at a constant of 9.81 meters per second squared. It's constantly pulling. So is self. Think about you. You're the center. What are you thinking, feeling, believing? It's all about you. Paul would say this, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses one through three, maybe four. Actually pull it up if you have it. 1 Corinthians 4. How do we fix this? Because I'm, I'm in both of these camps, sometimes in the same five minutes. Amen? Amen? I mean, flesh is a mess. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I should just give up. This is awful. And other times I'm like, I'm awesome. I'm the best ever. Does Brooke know that? I should tell her. She married really well. And <laughs> Do you guys not think like that? Is that just me? Like... It's bizarre. One minute I'm like, ah, I should just quit. (laughs) Other minute I'm like, this is, I'm amazing. I wonder if God knows that. Like, everybody should know this. How do we escape self? Because that gravitational pull of the flesh is constant, isn't it? I mean, it just constantly goes on. Here's what Paul says. Let a man regard us, a pastor in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Verse 2. In this case, moreover, it's required of a steward that he be found trustworthy, just to deliver the message, not the superhero, super zero, sub-zero. Watch verse three. This is going to set you free. Paul says, but to me, it's a very small thing that I may be judged or examined. By whom? See, the church at Corinth was like, Paul, you're all right at preaching, but we really like Apollos, And Cephas was really good, too. Peter knocked it out of the park, Paul you are just so-so. How does the criticism of others not crush you? Paul said, because it's a very small, I don't care what you think. Because you're not God. You're not at the center of the universe. See, Paul, he had found freedom from self. Do you see it there? I mean, to write to a group of people and say, to me, it's a very small thing that you judge me. In fact, I'm not not even concerned about being judged by any human court, because they're not God. They're fallen human beings too. In fact, Paul would say, I don't even examine or judge whom? Myself. Now in verse verse four, he says, that doesn't justify me. I'm conscious of nothing against myself, yet I'm not uh, uh, by this acquitted. But I'm really not moved by what you think of me and I'm not moved by what I think of me because I'm not at the center and you're not at the center. Jesus is at the center and the only way you and I can have a proper view of self is by escaping self. There's no longer what Dave Tooker thinks about Dave Tooker. When I drive home and I'm thinking about me, I have to stop and say, Lord, it doesn't matter what I think about me. My thoughts aren't that brilliant. I'm not that smart, but you are, and you're the one who examines me. So how do you escape self, where you're constantly either crushed under the criticism of others Anybody get emails that just crush them? You're like, oh my goodness. How do you escape that so that you're not self-condemning or self-confident? It's to realize what Paul realized. Galatians 2.20, I don't judge myself and you don't judge me. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and offered himself up for me. Why do I not judge me or why do I not care if you judge me or anybody else judges me? Because Jesus was judged for me and has come to live in me to set me free from slavery to self. And if you don't understand that, you're gonna continue on this route of being enslaved to self. You won't know who you're not. You won't know who you are. Two minutes over, but we just finished point one, and I'm very confident in me (laughs) that we are going to finish some of this. But that point is serious because some of us get stuck. We get stuck on thinking about us and looking at us instead of saying, Lord, it doesn't matter what I say about me. What do you say about me? And when you come to the scriptures and you hear what God says about you and you say, well, I am I am awful. God says, actually, you're adopted into my family. You're adored, you're beloved. I gave everything for you and I love you. It changes because you no longer look at you. So number one, you gotta be clear on self. Now for the sake of time, I'm gonna jump forward. Uh, We'll go verse 29, just for the sake of time. You've gotta be clear on self, who you're not and who you are. That's huge. You've gotta be clear on your savior, who he is. Watch what John the baptizer says in verse 29. So he just, got, he just got done saying, I'm nothing. Don't think about me. Look right through me. Look to Jesus. The next day, he, John the baptizer, saw Jesus coming to him and said, and just so you know, I'm about to yell because it's emphatic. It's actually emphatic in the Greek. Jesus was coming to him and John the baptizer said, behold, the lamb of God. Don't look at me. Look over at, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He yelled so that everyone might look away from him and look to Jesus. Now, we don't use the word behold in English too much. We would say, check it out, yo. I would say that. You, well, some of you would, I think. Stare. Well, but that's, difficult because I, I had a staring problem growing up. I would stare at anything weird, odd, or different. I still do. I was in the airport. Have you guys ever seen the lizard man? Anybody? Google that junk. It's weird. I was on a flight to Phoenix, and the lizard man was on the plane. like He was in the, that, in, in the airport, and I was just staring because it's weird, right? I even went and sat closer to him. Tattooed himself green, got surgical implants. He was like, what are you doing? I was like, staring. (laughs) He showed me his bifurcated tongue. He had split it. I mean, he's a lizard. Mom always told me not to stare. I don't care though. It's kind of fun, right? You guys ever caught anybody staring at you? It's weird, right? But this is what John is saying. You are going to fixate on what you believe will fulfill you. This is why many of you check your 401k a dozen times a day, amen? Well, I felt that one. Was that too personal? (laughs) I'm backing up on that one. No, it's why some of you stare at your spouse. If she would just change or if he would change, then life would be perfect. It's why you stare at one another. If we could just get all the people in church to do what we wanted them to do, life would be perfect. It's why we stare at denominations or the church at large. Oh, the church is so messed up. And I have to say, why are you staring? Why are you staring at your spouse? They're finite and limited, just like you. Stop staring. It's weird. Stop being a weirdo. (laughs) No? People come in and complain. Well, the church is all messed up. Nobody does anything, and everybody does whatever they want. Nobody's serving. Nobody's helping. Nobody's sharing the gospel. Why are you staring at them? Stop it. Stop it. You're judging them. You're self confident. You think you're all that. You're the stuff. I had to filter out two different things because I'm tired. Praise God it happened though. Amen. <laughs> Again, progress. Stop staring. At one another, stop staring at your spouse, stop staring at your job, stop staring at the saints, stop staring at the church. Behold the Lamb of God. That's the only place you're gonna find peace and comfort. And John says, Stop looking at me, look at the Lamb. Now you've got to understand why he was yelling, look at the Lamb, because they thought he was the Christ, the Messiah, the prophet, and Elijah. He's like, No, 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 look at the Lamb. You've got to understand who the lamb is. Watch what he says here. Behold the lamb who does something. What does he do? He takes away the sin of the world. He said, behold the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Right when he said this, the whole Jewish community all of a sudden had the entirety of the Old Testament bust in on them. I can guarantee you they were thinking about Abraham walking with Isaac when Isaac finally figured out that they had no sacrifice. And Isaac said, dad, where's the lamb? And Abraham had to say, son, the Lord God will provide the lamb, if not, you die. I guarantee everyone there when he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They thought about Exodus, the Passover lamb, the shed blood of the lamb that if a lamb didn't die, their firstborn would have died. You you see, to know the lamb is to know love. I'm I'm gonna say this numerous times. You need to know how loved you are. And to know the lamb of God, to behold the lamb is to know love, to know you're loved. Let me explain it to you this way. Growing up, uh, I had some desires and wants. One of my desires was for a Sony Walkman, the yellow kind. Anybody remember the yellow Sony Walkman? I needed something to play the new kids on the block, and, and there was something about the yellow Sony Walkman. It was water resistant, resistant, not proof, but resistant, which in Oregon matters because it rained like 11 months out of the year. It was yellow, it stood out, it was a status symbol. I got a paper route, and I worked that paper route for a long time in the rain, constantly. A lot of pain, getting the papers, wrapping the papers up, wrapping them in plastic. A lot of perseverance, riding through the rain to deliver papers to people who are grumpy. Uh, A lot of pain, a lot of perseverance. But after a great while, I saved up the 40 some dollars to go buy the Walkman and I remember walking in. We didn't even have it in our town, we had to go to a different town to Fred Meyer to find the Sony Walkman and I got it and I'll never forget paying the 40 some dollars and getting it. I was so proud of that thing. I put my cassette tape in there and whatever side of the road I was delivering on, I would put the Walkman on that side so everyone driving by could see it. (laughs) You, You know, because I... I endured pain, I persevered to purchase this thing and it was everything to me with my big yellow, I'm riding, delivering my papers so everybody could see it. Here's what you need to know. When John said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he was making a statement about you and about I, about us in Christ. He said, you need to know the price that was paid for you. Because the greater the pain, the greater the perseverance, the greater the price, the greater the pleasure. When he said, behold the Lamb of God, it's gonna set you free from the slavery to self. You see, in all of the cosmos, in all of the world, in all of the universe, God owns it all, he created it all. But you know through the, Bibles, there's, the Bible there's only one thing he purchased, 1 Peter 1:19. You were not purchased with silver or gold from your way, your previous life of futility and worthlessness. You were purchased as with the precious blood of an unblemished lamb. For those of you who are in Christ, your identity is found in Christ. And the truth is he paid the highest price for you. He went through a great deal of pain, great deal of perseverance, great deal of punishment to pay for you. And he's put you on his belt buckle and said, look at this. I redeemed Vermi, and I cleaned him from the inside out. And I absolutely love him and I'm proud of him. You see, instead of promoting yourself and finding pride in yourself, what sets you free from self? to fix your eyes Hebrews 12:2 on the lamb of God and to know he paid the highest price possible for you. You're loved. It's not about self-esteem, it's about our savior's love for us. And when you understand that and that is planted in your soul, you will begin love will begin to spill the sippy lid will come off of your life and you will begin to spill out love, I guarantee you. It changes you from the inside out. So you've That path to greatness is about knowing who you're not and who you are. You're not a big deal. I'm not a big deal. We're sub-zero. But behold the Lamb who paid the greatest price to purchase you, to redeem your soul. And then it sets you free on what is the scope of your life. What is it that you're here to do? We're 13 minutes over, so I'm just going to grab verse 34. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 34. Watch John's purpose. Oh, you can't. I didn't X out. Glad it didn't all glitch. Yeah. Watch this. Oh, here's the purpose. See, many of us, we we move towards self-esteem, self-promotion, self-actualization because it's like, I want to be significant. I want to be a big deal. If you're seeking to be a big deal apart from Jesus Christ, it's going to be epically tragic. My role, the point of my life is to point to the one who is the point of all life. His name is Jesus Christ. That's what John says. I myself have seen and I testify to this, that Jesus is the son of God. What's the point of my life? My point is to point to the point. His name is Jesus. Now that may be a tiny part. That may be a minuscule part. I may not understand that part. John's part was small. John the baptizer He lived 30 years. He showed up for a little while. He was so bold and and loving. He called Herod out. He's like, Herod, you're a fox, man. You You got your brother's wife. You can't do that. Repent, lost his head. His life was short. He played a tiny part, but he played a part. He didn't live his story. He joined the story. You see, and this is what you long for. You live in a world that says, be great apart from God. I took a music appreciation class in college. Don't know why, but it was fun. Music appreciation with a bunch of loggers. Try it. It's a blat. Loggers and welders loved it. Uh, one of the assignments was to go to a symphony. 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 You know what I'm trying to say, right? symphony? Symphony. Symphony. Nailed it. So we went. Whole bunch of loggers. <laughs> Some of them high as a kite, but we went. It was amazing. I had never been. Everybody's dressed up, tuxedos and stuff. I didn't know there's a dress code, but I made it. It was for the grade. Got there. Everybody was warming up. I was like, wow, look at all these different pieces and parts. But then the penguin walked in. He had a tail. He walked in. And he had the wand of power. He had the Harry Potter wand of power. It the first time I, he clicks. He let us know, hey, here's the pieces we're gonna, we're gonna be playing for you tonight. And as they were playing, I was watching everybody do their things. Everybody did a different thing. Some of them were sweating and working strings like Miss Emily. They're working hard. There was one guy that caught my attention. He was in the back. He was in a tuxedo. He was part of it, but he wasn't doing anything. I was like, this guy's weird. I can join the symphony too. I could do that literally. He just stood there, but he was watching the music. Two pieces go by. Whole pieces. I mean, we're well into the symphony, and this guy's there doing nothing. I just started watching him. I didn't care about anybody else. I'm like, what is this cat doing? He looks like a terrorist. <laughs> right? He's just standing there. This is freaking nobody else out. Then in the third piece, midway through, he's watching. And he pulls out his instrument. And I was like, what is he doing? And he watched the music. And he waited for, for his turn. And he aligned the triangle. I didn't know it was an instrument at that time. Right? It wasn't until the Geico commercial that I realized it. was. Do you see the symbol solo? No, we won't play it. I'm 15, 16, 17 minutes over. Anyway, this cat pulls it out. He's watching the music. That The instructor lets him know it's time, and he lets it fly. I watched, and I was like, that's the goofiest thing I've ever seen. That guy was there. He's been there an hour and a half just waiting, just waiting for his part. And, and it blew me away. I was like, I don't even know what that is. Then I became a Christian started following Jesus and realized the body of Christ are a whole bunch of different gifts. Some of us don't seem like we're that active. Some of us seem like we're sitting back for a long time doing nothing. Some of us show up for a short time and are very active and then disappear. Some of us feel like my role isn't that big. None of our roles are that big because none of us are the superhero. Our role is is to become nothing, sub-zero, not looked to, but looked through. As we love one another fervently from the heart, as we take the sippy lid off our lives and let his love flow through us, I become nothing for the glory of God. I play my part, my little part, my little piece, because I'm a vapor, I'm dust, I'm like a flower that's here for a little while and then gone. I play my part, and then I disappear for the glory of God. Your point, my point, is to point to the point. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Play your triangles well. Enjoy it. Become nothing for the glory of God so that Christ Jesus might become everything. And I can guarantee you on the last day, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have become great in the kingdom of God because you've, ha- you've learned the secret of becoming nothing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are great, Jesus, that you're the greatest one ever and that you showed that greatness by becoming nothing. Father, I am so full of self. Would you forgive me? Would you help me empty myself of self so that I might be full of your spirit, so that people might look through me to your son, Jesus Christ, that he might be glorified. It's our prayer at Hillside, Jesus, that you be made much of. But as long as I'm full of self, I'm not gonna be filled with my savior. Would you give us grace? Would you grant us humility and repentance so that we might be a people full of the spirit, pointing to the son so that, Father, you might be glorified. Jesus, it's in your name I pray, amen.